welcome back to the Some Sort of Miracle podcast. I'm Ed, and I'm joined today by Paul. Hello. By Emily. Hello. And for the first time ever, by Mr. Luke Furlong. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast, Luke. Thank you, Ed. It's good to be with you. Yeah, we're very excited. We've spoken for a little while about having you on, haven't we? But um, this seemed to make the most sense. We've all actually done a a training course um, at Forge, haven't we, in this conversation and that's kind of a missional training course that speaks about at one point apest so it kind of made sense for us to all be having this conversation and sharing our thoughts on this topic which i've just told you is apest that's what we're going to be talking about today you may notice that this isn't the interview with nick hamlet about torchbearers that was promised in the last episode but uh, we had some scheduling issues with Nick, and we will make sure that comes very soon. And it's going to be as good as we bigged it up to be last episode. Um, but yeah, just not quite yet. That'll be coming very soon. But yeah, today we're talking about Apest. But before we get on to Apest, let's just have a bit of an introduction to Luke. Luke, could you give us a brief idea of who you are and what you do? Yeah, so obviously my name's Luke, and I am a community mission facilitator for the Salvation Army, and I work um, up in Berwick-upon-Tweed. So clinging on to obviously being English, but we have some (laughs) dealings with the Scots as well. So I'll let you decide if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, we'll leave that to the viewer. I don't want to stick my uh, listener. I don't want to stick my foot in it anyway. (laughs) So, um, Paul, you've prepped some questions for Luke, haven't you? Uh, prepped is a strong word, um, but but yes, I've got some questions to um, to help the listeners to get to know the real you. Um, Luke hasn't seen any of these questions yet, um, but what we need is a really raw idea of who Luke is. So we're going to go with a really deep question. Favourite meal deal? So I want a main, a snack and a drink. Ooh. So, has to be Morrison's. So Morrison's is my go-to, and it would be chicken and bacon Caesar wrap. That's always my nice. sort of go-to. Um, then it would be probably a can of Pringles, a little can of Pringles. And then I'd end up with a innocent bolt from the blue um, drink that looks like vomit, but is actually really quite nice. Yeah. Good choice. What flavour Pringles? Um, salt and vinegar, much oh, to people. Oh disgust yeah that's disappointing luke i was with you until that point what's the right answer emily sour cream and onion always strong strong choice Mm. Mm. well i hope that's helped you to um get to know luke a bit better next question (laughs) is uh what's the favorite item that you've bought this year so it's gonna sound really like consumerist but the ps5 having waited like months to get it and finally, after many months of trying and staying up until stupid clock in the morning, um, I've finally got one. So yep. it's really consumerist answer, but yeah, the PS5. No, it's the right answer. It is strong choice. I think that might be the majority decision in this uh, in this podcast. Um, next question: best place you've ever been to? You can say Bramley uh, if you want. Um, just repping town of Bramley. I mean, Bramley is a very good shout. Um, to be fair, it's probably going to be Bergen. Um, mm. So that's obviously across in Norway. Um, went to Norway a couple of summers ago and took the seven-hour train ride to Bergen. And obviously, whilst there, 
um, climb some mountains and zip line down mountains. And that was a lot of fun. So if you're ever in Norway, go to Bergen. That was an actual insight yeah. from my questions. I'm impressed. Um, next question. If you could trade lives with someone, who would it be? These are difficult questions. Yeah. We're going deep into the life of Luke. Um, I don't actually know. I've not really thought about that before. Um, you can say no one because God made me to be me. And that would be the correct answer if you want I think I'll take that answer then. <laughs> well, you've ruined my I've question. I've given him a Sunday Thanks. school get out there. You have. And I can't argue with it because you made it biblical. <laughs> um, last question. This is a little bit less deep, but um, maybe gets us into the um, into the real mind of Luke Furlong. Mm. You own an elephant. You can't sell it or give it away. What do you do with it? I would use it as a eco-friendly mode of transport and I would then use the dung that it produces to fertilise fields very eco-friendly answer yeah, um, yeah thank you Luke for uh, that insight into your world I, I feel like the listeners will thoroughly understand who Luke Furlong is now um, and yeah we thank you for that so, Apest, let's move away from this silliness. Um, Apest, we're, um, we're not sure whether you've heard this term before, whether this is something you're familiar with, maybe this is the first time you're hearing about it. So what we're going to do, we're going to give a very quick kind of overview of what Apest is and um, where it comes from and how it's to be used. Um, so this is very quick. We're not delving into it in a huge um, way, but we're just going to try and give you the, the headlines of Apest. So Apest is something that is found in Ephesians 4 verses 1 to 16, um, spe specifically in verse 11, and that says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. And Alan Hirsch, who's a writer on missiology, um, and kind of the church and all sorts of good things talks about this a lot and he describes it as the fivefold ministry of the church the gifts that God has given us as God's people to build up his church in this world and establish his kingdom here and that's a, a really exciting thing and the idea then is that we will all kind of have a, a dominant gifting amongst these five things amongst the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd and the teacher so the first gifting is apostles. Um, the apostles are the sent ones. Ensure that the faith is transmitted from one context to another. Um, so they're always thinking about the future, about um, about moving forward, um, about what the next plans are, um, developing leaders, um, networking, and um, bridging barriers between people. So the second gifting in the APES model is prophets who know God's will. They are particularly attuned to God and his truth for today. They bring correction and challenge the dominant assumptions that we inherit from the culture around us or um, challenging and correcting sort of worldly views that come about. They insist that the community obey what God has commanded and they question the status quo. Um, without other types of leaders in place, Prophets can sometimes become belligerent activists or paradoxically disengage from the imperfection of reality. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, based on um, that description, if we know some prophets, 
they can be um, quite certain, I think, in what it is quite, quite a fixed way um, of thinking sometimes. Yep. Okay, so the evangelists, uh, these are the third gifting and these are the infectious um, communicators of the gospel and, uh, and they obviously seek to recruit others to the cause. They call for personal response to God's redemption in Christ and also draw believers to engage with, with the wider mission of growing the church. Um, evangelists can be so focused on reaching those outside the church that they can sometimes neglect those who are on the inside. Mm. And that uh, danger is kind of the opposite um, thing for the shepherds, who are the fourth gifting, and they are the people that nurture and protect they are the caregivers of the community. They focus on the protection and spiritual maturity of God's flock, cultivating a loving and spiritually mature network of relationships, making and developing disciples. Shepherds can value stability to the detriment of the mission. They may also fo foster an unhealthy dependence between the church and themselves. But they are the people that just gather people around them and really yeah, cement those secure, loving relationships in our churches. Yeah, I think the, the shepherds and the teachers, which is the last um, gifting, are often kind of rolled into one as a, a sort of church leader stereotype. Mm. Um, the teachers, as you will know the word to mean, understand and explain. Um, communicators of God's truth and wisdom. Um, they help others to remain biblically grounded. Um, guiding others towards wisdom, helping the community remain faithful to Christ's words and constructing a transferable doctrine. Um, but without the input of the other functions, teachers can fall um, into dogmatism. They may fail to see the personal or missional aspects of the church ministry. Um, so they're really the people who are teaching the people that are already part of the church. Um, I think that's probably why they often get rolled in with the shepherds. They're both quite inwardly looking on yeah. the whole. Yeah. So that's kind of a, a brief overview of what the, the uh, APEST giftings are. Um, and Alan Hirsch, when he speaks about this, he's really clear that the church needs all of these giftings to thrive. It needs the apostles, it needs the prophets, it needs the evangelists, it needs the shepherds, and it needs the teachers. And without any of those, we will see a serious deficit in our church. Um, and over the years, we've kind of seen this deficit lived out in different ways. Alan Hirsch talks a lot about how um, kind of in the last 100, 200 years, the church has really had a focus, like Paul mentioned, on the shepherd teacher model. You'll be familiar with these people, these kind of upfront leaders of the church that do the sermons and they gather everyone around and they make sure everyone's okay. They pastor their flock and they are very inward focused in a way and that's really valuable, but it can come at the expense of um, the people on the outside and that's where we need the apes the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists. And that's kind of what Alan Hirsch wants to uh, do. He wants to release the apes um, in the church, which I just want to keep saying <laughs> as many times as I can. Um, so online, you can find lots of different tests um, and lots of different um, kind of multiple choice things that help you try and tease out what your gifting is. And these tests aren't infallible. They're not, you know, the amazing. Sometimes you get results and you think no that's not me at all but they do help give you an idea they do kind of help challenge you give you some things to think about um, and 
everyone in this room's done these tests a number of times, I think. So I thought it'd just be cool to kind of hear where we all sit within this model and whether we um, have given it a lot of thought, I guess. Luke, I know you've done you've done a, te a test just today, haven't you? Yeah, so um, when Ed spoke to me about coming, obviously, onto this APEST episode, I was a little bit confused um, <laughs> as to why me, um, but that's just normal me anyway. Um, the last time I did one of these APEST um, test things, um, I remember being very confused because it told me that I was an apostle. That was my strongest gifting, which at the time made no sense. Um, and having done one earlier today, um, I my strongest gifting is now that of a pastor, and that is seconded by that of a prophet, um, mm -hmm. which, again, um, prophet, I'm like, again, confused by that one. Um, but reading some of the definitions and some of the explanations, um, pastor and, and also prophet do seem to complement each other in some way. So maybe there is some method in the madness. Mm, yeah. So do you feel like that pastor prophet thing represents who you are? Do you feel like that's a, an accurate thing or do you, or is that one of those that kind of is true of you in this season, but you're not quite sure whether that's, you know, just who you are in your core? I think it is the latter, to be honest. Okay. Um, at this season in life, um, in the role that I'm in at the moment, there is a lot of um, care for people in the church building itself and those that are part of our congregation. Um, and I've done a fair bit of sort of the pastoral care side of things over the last couple of months. So I'm not surprised that that is as strong as it is. Um, I'm just perhaps more surprised that profit comes in um, where it does. Emily, what about you? Um, yeah, I, it's interesting. I I had a little <coughs> look back through when I last did the the fivefold ministry um, sort of survey, and um, like Luke, really, actually, um, I, maybe we should clarify that when we're referring to pastor, we're talking about shepherds, aren't we? Yes. Um, and so that is my probably my strongest gifting um, is is um, pastor, and I think that that has become something which is quite seasonal um, but it's a long season you know I work as a school's chaplain and so very much my role really is is in mental health well-being um in the pastoring and the nurturing of um children and, and students so I think that is one that I really um identify strongly with um historically I've also had evangelists as well and I suppose that is part and parcel of really working in a secular space um, and representing um, the church in that space as well. Um, I'm not sure that this description of evangelists, this it, it quite sits um, neatly with what I would say of myself, which is evangelists recruit and that they call for a personal response to God's redemption in Christ. Mm. I'm not sure about that um, description, mm. uh, just because um, to me that sounds like quite a strong way of describing it. Um, you know, and I think actually, really, that's we can encourage personal response, can't we? But we can't, you know, God, God, and the Spirit do the res yeah. do the responsive work in someone's life. So, yeah, I think the two of those together probably um, 
summarised quite nicely. I think the really important thing is with APEST as well is to remember that as we grow in spiritual maturity, we grow in all elements of the APEST model. And I think that that is, you know, hopefully we see aspects of each in ourselves in different times. And we may not function um, with all of these giftings all the time, but, you know, there may be a moment where you feel that God is um, really speaking to you a truth or a prophetic word for the time and the place that you're in mm. and you know when we're when we're in tune with the spirit when we, we have the indwelling of christ within us and we're listening to that then i think that we do um you know the outworking of of god's mission um leads to us maturing in all of these areas hopefully yeah yeah definitely i think sometimes these sort of things can come across as an excuse to never delve into the ones that aren't your dominant giftings and it's it's definitely not that <laughs> um but yeah yeah thanks for sharing that emily paul yeah so um it's been quite a while since i've done an air pest um so i may have to go back and and do one again but i've done it a couple of times um and generally teacher and shepherd are the two that um are the strongest mm-hmm. um which i think is probably right for my personality but i think that's probably quite a common thing in the church i think like we said that's the standard personality type for for the the um it's what the church has valued yeah. isn't it yeah, yeah definitely and i i want i do wonder how much of that rather than my personality is just the way that i've been brought up to mm. um the way that i've been conditioned in church to be um, interesting which maybe we can delve into further but um last time i did it when we were doing forge we were doing a lot more of missional training mm. um an apostle became higher on the list i think it was right next to um shepherd as number two a job well joint second um and teacher was top and i think teacher lives out in the job that i do now as a debt advisor my job is to understand and explain um not necessarily in a biblical setting but um i think just in in general that that's a skill set that i have to have Mm. so i'm probably more attuned to that and um shepherd again caring for people i think that works mm. for me and um, i never score highly in evangelism um infectious community communicators calling for a personal response to god's redemption in christ doesn't really um it's a strong yeah. it is a strong phrase in that anyway yeah but um yeah i've heard that one the evangelist described as the storytellers the people that are able to communicate what what uh, god's done in their lives yeah, so my shape, I um, I usually come out. It changes time, to, uh, like every time I've done it, it's been slightly different. But the usual one that it kind of sits in is uh, prophet teacher, um, somewhere in those two, um, and I'm not really sure if that's who I am or not. Um, I think yeah, it's another one of those where I can see where where that's come from. I can see that the the things that I've been doing in my life that has led to that. And maybe that's God has gifted me in those areas for that time. But yeah, it, it does feel very kind of seasonal, doesn't it? Uh, this sort of stuff. But yeah. To be, to be fair, I do think if I had to summarize you in a sentence from this list, it would be challenge the dominant assumptions we inherit from culture. No, oh, I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah. You can. Yeah, for it better or worse. Yeah, it wasn't a compliment or, or not. Okay, so it was just yeah. an observation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You tell him, Paul. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm not complimenting you. Yeah, so just, pipe down. Yeah, that's it. I, I think, think what you said about um, evangelists and storytelling, just to kind of refer back to that, mm. is a really nice way of putting it because, mm. um, you know, I think, and I think that evangelism in its in its own in its own way has become a very loaded term, hasn't mm. it? You know, we think um, we think about evangelical church, we think about that as a movement. We probably associate that mostly with maybe right-wing America and um and I think that um the storytelling the personal element of evangelism the conversations you know we talk loads don't we about trusted conversations with friends and I think that that's where I would argue that um real grounded natural evangelism happens without an agenda without wanting to lead that person to this end point that maybe this description sort mm. of suggests and i think you know when you can have a conversation for example with a student who is um you know uh, the subject of rumors <coughs> at school and they feel like they can't walk down a corridor without enemies all around them you know for me where how would i draw a comparison to that situation well i would draw a comparison with when Moses is trying to cross the Red Sea and enemies are approaching all on all sides mm. and he takes that moment for the stillness of God to enter in. And that would be how I would creatively communicate with a student yeah. the similarities between their natural life and the supernatural. Mm. And so I think that the storytellers, you know, if there's evangelists listening, I don't I don't want them to get a bad rap because I know that historically <laughs> I think that it does it is a loaded term and mm. we're trying to reclaim it i think as a church or i hope we are trying to reclaim the way that we um consider evangelism yeah definitely i think in in a way all of these terms are are loaded with meaning that perhaps sometimes it's helpful sometimes it's not helpful um mm. but yeah definitely evangelist i i know there have been times in my life where my skin's you know, crawled a little bit when i've heard that that word. I think actually the first time we did forge training, uh, I expressed a, a bit of a dim view of evangelism at that point in my life. And I remember having a conversation with you, Emily, where you challenged me on it and rightfully so. Um, and we had a good conversation about that, teased out some of that nuance in there, um, which was really helpful to me. Almost a back thought. Um, for me, it's that it's like it's interesting enough we said at the start that um pastors and teachers are the most common is that because the church deems them to be safe giftings they're the ones that we're comfortable with and that um and they're almost quite civil ones you know to be a shepherd and be a teacher it's quite nice it's quite cuddly but the others um apostle prophet and evangelist um perhaps um encourage us to um they they are ones that shake us up a little bit mm. and because the church um for me anyway has become quite um safe and domesticated um is there a potentially an element that we're scared of the apostles and the prophets and because they are so out there and they're not this nicely packaged yeah um gifting that comes along so is there that thing of oh we don't like these people because they don't fit our nice domesticated church model yeah definitely i think you know i'm terrified of apostles they're they're crazy 
Um, <laughs> I work with one, um, Caroline. I know she might be listening to this, so she'll appreciate me saying that. But she's an out-and-out -out apostle. She is always caring about her community. And if she has a choice of being, you know, at a big church event or being out with her friends at her running club in Bramley, she'll be at her running club in Bramley. That's her priority every time to be out in her community. And that is that's a great thing to have in the church because it drags us somewhere. It gives us a heart for our communities and it pulls us out of our safe spaces. And it's exactly what you say. We've become really risk averse. We like to make sure that we have control of all the program we run. We like to make sure it's very neat and very safe and very secure. And as soon as you start stepping out into spaces that you don't have the power and spaces where you don't run everything and you don't set the agenda, it's risky, it's messy, it looks crazy, it can look different in every every different place you go to, and it's hard to predict. And I think the church can find that quite a difficult thing to grapple with. But that's why we need the apostles, we need them to drag us into these new, new places. And without them, we can find ourselves stuck and stagnating. And I think you could probably say the same as, in, in some ways, of the prophets and the evangelists. Yeah, I think it's on. you could almost see like a little stepping stone there. The apostles are the ones who... Um, almost force people out, force people out of the church into the communities. Mm. And if that doesn't happen, then the evangelists have nowhere to evangelize. Yeah, yeah. Because they've not got that platform. Um, and then if the prophets challenge that, well, everyone's inside already. So mm. the shepherds and the teachers are comfortable, so they don't want to go outside. Yeah. So the prophets have nothing to almost back them up when they question the status quo, as the sort of description we use and suggests. Mm. Um. So yeah, I think I think you're right, Luke. I think um, it's nice and safe. If everyone's on the inside, um, the people who are already there are looked after by the shepherds and taught by the teachers. Um, and the apostles are there to shake things up. And that's not always something people like. Um, I think that we're in danger of just limiting this model to a church context in terms of thinking of the body of people in a building and yeah. church services. Just... From what Luke is saying, I agree that perhaps in a church context, we think that shepherd and teaching are nice giftings, they're fluffy. But what I would say is that, you know, I am a shepherd of a school community and that isn't mm. um, necessarily fluffy and that isn't necessarily nice. And I think actually it's a disservice to say for, for shepherds within a church community, within a, a, you know, within that own kind of context of, a gathering people on a Sunday. Um, so I think that the APS model, it, it still works, doesn't it? When we're not considering church in this inherited view that we always refer back to, even though we try to teach ourselves not to. And if we consider APS model as a gift to God's church, the body of people sent out to where they are, then I think that reframes the whole conversation because actually for me, um, to be a shepherd in a school is is very complex and sure. you know day to day could involve really trying hard to hold two sides of a conflict mm. and that is a deep skill actually yeah. um and, and and i think it's the same isn't it you know we might think of apostles as the people that are on the fringes of of church but the truth of the matter is that we all should be out. <laughs> well, we all are out and we all are sent. And so in that respect, we all are apostles. Mm. And so I just think it's difficult, isn't it? Because we get into this habit of speaking about APEST in this fixed way. Yeah. 
Yeah, I get what you what you're saying. I think the it can be really, and I've I've been in many APES teaching like sessions where people have been quite disparaging about the shepherds, and that absolutely we we can't do that because yeah. they're incredibly vital and it's a huge role. Um, but I guess looking at your context, by the very nature of you being there is apostolic, isn't it? In, it in is, nature. Yeah. So maybe if we're saying shep, like she, um, if we just emphasize the shepherd gifting to the exclusion of all else, it can become mm-hmm. very safe and insular and out there. But actually what we're not seeing it in your context, definitely not to the exclusion because you're shepherding in an apostolic setting. So you are embodying multiple giftings at one time, aren't you there? Mm. Yeah, I think so. I think that summarizes it quite nicely. And I think hopefully for, I think hopefully for, for others in, Mm. you know, whatever their, whatever their spheres of influence are really is, you know, I, I like to think that we are all called to, an apostolic way you know Mm. we may not necessarily identify strongly with this description of being an apostle but um, you know the our calling is clear isn't it we're sent out into the world and yeah Mm. oh it's one of those topics you could talk yourself into a real rabbit hole (laughs) yeah definitely yeah i think i see that as well i think i said quite early on that i scored very lowly on the test on evangelist but that doesn't mean i can't evangelize Mm. Um, and there, there are places where I, where I guess I do evangelize. If you can evangelize a small amount, I'm not sure if that works. I think so. Um, so I think it is really important to stress that number one, no gifting is more or less important. I think some have been made to look less important over the years in, in established church, as we sort of stereotypically use that phrase. Um, and Number two, everyone can do all five at once. Um, I think the use of this sort of system comes in when you're maybe looking to build teams or to really drive a, a church setting forward, however that looks, by making sure that there's a, someone who's strong in each category mm. involved so that you can get the full uh, breadth of, of what, what needs to be there to be effective and efficient. Mm. I think that's why as well it's useful to think of it like as a shape rather than just a this is a single category that you fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I It's almost like these are five different parts of a pentagon and, 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 and they're either closer or further away from the centre and we all have our unique shape and it's not like it's we are solely um, evangelists or prophets or apostles and nothing else they our shape is i guess in my mind anyway a mixture of everything and our shape is going to be unique to us and just because um two people might be um teachers doesn't mean their overall shape is is actually going to be the same mm. um so i think the mm-hmm. language of shape is quite helpful here certainly for me anyway yeah yeah definitely so it'd be, I guess it'd be interesting to talk briefly about how, how much do we use this in our day-to-day? Is this something that actually, when we look at the teams we work in, look at our church communities, is this something we see modelled? Is this something that we um, speak about and are conscious of? Um, yeah, how does that fit in for people? 
I think there are uses for it. I think it needs to be used. Not, I don't want to say sparingly, as though it's not, um, as though it's not important, or as as though it's it's too important. I think it's something to be sort of added on to the context of where you are. Um, for two for two reasons really. One, like I said previously, for for sort of making a team or making sure that your team is balanced and that um, that that what what you're doing sort of is good for everyone or at least is um, caters for everyone in the right way. Uh, I I think the second useful part of this is to look at each individual member of the team and understand where they're coming from and what their thought process might be because of which one they're more attuned to. So, like we said, it's quite common for someone who's more of an apostle to maybe um, fall out, potentially, or for a prophet, um, challenging the culture of a group. Um, I think it's really important to remember that they're not coming at that from an aggressive point of view. That's just the way that they are and that's how they communicate and um, and that actually that's God's gift in them. Mm. Um, and I think for someone who is a different a different gifting, it might be easy to clash if you don't remember that actually that's that's what God needs in that time. And I think that's really useful to remember when you're communicating with people that when you disagree, there's probably a reason that you disagree and that reason's probably okay. Yeah, I yeah. definitely find it helpful for that. Just that acknowledgement of the fact that we're different and we are different people and like our knee-jerk reaction to a situation will be different. One of the things I find interesting um, about this model as well is that sometimes the criticism I've heard of it, um, I think people don't like um, that it can become like the only conversation in a way in team building and um, and actually it was never intended to be that. Actually this makes up one part of a larger set of teaching that Alan Hirsch came up with, a larger framework called the MDNA, which is the missional DNA of an organisation or a church. And that kind of is six parts. Um, so that'd be Jesus is Lord, the missional incarnational impulse, liminality and communitas, discipleship and disciple making, apest culture and organic, organic systems. And he argues that actually we need all six of those present in our churches as well. And that's not something we need to go into today because it's a whole wider thing. But if you would like to hear more about some of that stuff, please let us know in the listener group and maybe we could do some episodes on that in the future. Um, so Luke I believe you had a question for us didn't you so my question really um, is um, really a thought I guess um, obviously we acknowledge that APES is a really good model and it has lots to teach us and can really um, help to enhance the life of our churches um, my thinking is is that um, does APEST only work in certain church settings, i.e. does the church need to be a certain type of church or have a certain level of spiritual maturity um, for it to truly flourish? I'm, I'm a big fan of APEST, so I'm going to jump in and say I think it works and it's helpful in pretty much all situations. And that's not saying you need a team of five who are going to exactly match all of those things before you can do anything, because that is just unrealistic nonsense. But actually, it's, say you're in a team of two, plopped in a church somewhere, 
with a very small congregation that can't help with much and you recognize that you're a shepherd teacher and you're with a prophet evangelist just having this this conversation about who you are what your reaction to things will be where your gifting is will probably let you know that actually maybe there's going to be a gap of that apostolic nature in that setting and just having that conversation gives you that sort of framework to think oh where, where are our gaps going to be and perhaps we can we can push ourselves to have to do something about that maybe we can step into that space so i i personally think that this is a worthwhile conversation for for all all churches to to look at i mean we're very fortunate here that our kind of main team of three or four kind of cover these bases and we, we kind of have these sort of conversations a lot um, but yeah I'm not sure that there are too many churches out there that maybe they wouldn't want to have these conversations because it would put them in an un uncomfortable place and I think it will put a lot of people in an uncomfortable place because if you look at your not just who is in your church but actually the apest culture shape of your church how much apostolic stuff are we doing how much prophetic how much evangelistic looking at those functions of the church you may see a deficit and that may challenge you to make some big changes and I think those can be uncomfortable conversations but for me those are conversations that could be had anywhere I don't know if you guys agree yeah I think it's a really interesting thought um I think I do agree um but I think like you said Luke, some some churches might not be in the right place to um, to take that on board, and again, like you said, Ed, it, a lot of people won't want to be challenged in that way. Um, but I think it's quite likely that across any, even the most unhealthy church, um, in in any setting really, are probably going to have people who are at least slightly apostolic. <laughs> Is that a word? I'm going to go with it. Apostolic. Um, prophetic or evangelistic um, so we've said that you're more likely to find shepherd teachers but I think a lot of that is just the way that we're conditioned um, I think people are more likely to, to find the teacher and shepherd within them potentially not that some people aren't more attuned to that but I think if you if people are willing to challenge themselves I think there will be more people that are at least higher scored in the in the other categories, and the gaps probably aren't actually big big gaps after all in most settings. I do think we probably have a bit of an inherent problem of hoping that um, our officers or our spiritual leaders somehow embody all of these five um, giftings, <laughs> and therefore are the perfect leader. And I think that that can be why that this framework can be really mobilizing for a church because actually we believe in the priesthood of all believers don't we or we certainly say we do and so if we're going to mobilize our churches then this conversation ought to be very revealing in terms of who um, does have what gifting and I think like with any label a label can give freedom it can give security and it can give purpose when applied in the right way but a label can also do the opposite can't it it can also pigeonhole it can marginalize and so it's about I suppose it's about the conversation isn't it and it's about that flexibility with how we use it but certainly I think that we ought to consider that where we're criticizing leadership 
because it doesn't demonstrate the five giftings, that is really a shortcoming of the church as a, as a whole, um, because it's showing that actually we're not stepping into this fivefold ministry. We're not enabling and we're not empowering people to understand their own God-given giftings. And therefore, what I think the APES model can do is encourage people to take their place in the mission of God, that we are all active participants in it. So have I ever had a conversation where I've sat down and gone as part of the team, oh, you know, this is what my gifting is, this is yours. No, I don't think I have actually, but I certainly think within the chaplaincy team that I work with at school, I can identify through not only personality traits, but through, um, yeah, through giftings, through strengths, um, and through conversation, who is the one that would primarily bring an apostolic word? Who is the one that is most likely to consider the feelings of the flock and the emotions of the flock? And so I've seen it at work, even though I haven't explicitly um, done that. And so I think that has been where I've seen it to be very helpful. Yeah, so I think that basically wraps up what we wanted to say about Airpest. Um, but before we finish, um, we kind of acknowledge that the descriptions we've given might be a little intense or maybe not quite um, summarise how you feel about your gifting. Um, so I've just got a, a... We've stolen this, obviously, from online, as I, as I do. I um, <laughs> tend to do my Googling beforehand, um, as regular listeners will know. Um, but yeah, we just wanted to share some some other names for, for these areas that don't quite fit into the APEST, A-P-E-S-T, but um, do sort of sound a little bit nicer and maybe will inspire you to go and find out which um, gifting is your strongest. Um, so the teacher is the light giver. The shepherd is the soul healer. The evangelist, as Ed said, is the storyteller. The prophet is the heart revealer. And the apostle is the dream awakener. Yeah, so I think it's really important to say as well that when we listen to those um, really positive labels for all the different giftings that are given to us, um, they all point towards the person of Jesus, who is the, the perfect embodiment and the manifestation of each of these gifts in full. And so if you're exploring what your own gifting is and you're just not sure where to start with that gifting and what um, fulfilling that God-given gift looks like, then to start with the person of Christ is the best possible place, I think. Um, and that's the thing that really inspires APEST into, into its outworking in the world is when we look back at the person of Christ. Yeah, I really love those those names. They kind of, they don't just convey like the, the information and the meaning, they give some of the emotion behind the heart of uh, what goes alongside these these giftings that God has for us as a people and for his church in this world. Uh, so I hope that you've been encouraged listening to this and perhaps you are interested in going to find out, you know, your gift shaping. Maybe it's obvious to you straight away. And if it is, you know, I just want to encourage you, encourage you in that and say, you know, if you, if you know kind of how you fit into this or you see yourself in different ways, maybe a few of them resonate with you, just go with that. That's That's great. But if you'd like to just have a think and maybe do one of these questionnaires um, on fivefoldministry.com, there's a short test and a long test on there that you can do for free. 
and it'll kind of give you some idea around the shapes that uh, the gift shape that you might have. And I would just encourage you that you know if this has captured your interest, have those conversations with your church leaders or wherever you are. Just have those conversations about maybe how you can get involved if you're if you kind of feel really strongly that you're apostolic and you don't feel like you're living that out. Perhaps give that a go. Perhaps maybe that's a challenge to you. But um, yeah, we would love to hear your thoughts and feedback. We're going to post some resources um, into the listener group. And um, if you'd like to have a look at those resources, if you'd like to share your thoughts, please jump into that space. And that's on Facebook. And you can find that by searching SSOM Listener Group. And it should be all there for you. Uh, but until next time, be well. Thank you.